Guru Nation, welcome to episode 451 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, Chris and I discuss what a technology vendor needs to bring to the table. What are some of the hurdles they got to jump through in order to land contracts and survive as a business uh, in clinical research? So a lot of good discussion here from the site level, from the sponsor level, from the CRO level, from the vendor level, all, everybody. This is one's for everybody. Links in the show notes to the CRA Academy, to the CRC Academy, to the Patreon channel, only $5 a month for monthly masterminds and weekly videos. Uh, also, if you need studies for your site, text me 949-415-6256, the book, The Comprehensive Guide to Clinical Research. Make sure you check it out. I really appreciate everyone that has. Refer a friend. We got lots of good stuff going on, so hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Send me a text, 949-415-6256. If you need help getting studies for your sites, text me, 949-415-6256. With all that being said, enjoy the episode. Guru Nation, welcome back to another episode of uh, Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. This is a full-length podcast we've got today. I've got Dan. This is myself, obviously, Dan Sfera. I've got him here. I've also got Chris Sauber here and the other window that you can see we are properly distanced, socially distanced from each other. Uh, And we're going to talk about, we're going to actually go into the um, listener grab bag mailbox and answer an interesting question uh it's a long question and but i think it's good and then we got our webinar later today so you guys like you don't want to miss out on that either you have to basically you've got to go subscribe to the clinicaltrialsguru.com and enter your email address in there to not miss out on any of these things it would be a shame to miss out on these things so anyways thank you for joining chris well, thank you for having me. So, ready to get into these questions? Are you bursting? Absolutely. Bursting at the seams with excitement? Uh, bursting. Uh, bursting. It's, Chris- it's Christmas morning and I'm 10 again. Oh, good. Good. That's the energy levels we need. Absolutely. So, basically, yeah. let it. me read the question. So, this person's saying, um, they're trying to learn the landscape of the industry. They're saying, okay, I see you have the pharmas, the biotechs, then the CROs. And then you have all these companies. They're talking about vendors, right? Like science 37, Medible, metadata that are offering solutions in order to provide Mm -hmm. biotechs and pharmas with better data, modular, flexible, and remote trials. I know many of these companies have actually benefited from COVID as there's been a, uh, real need for remote trials. The question I have are, how do these companies usually work with CROs and biotechs? And then there's more questions. Uh, apart from being time poor, risk averse, and often sticking to the status quo, why would pharma or CRO be skeptical about hiring these kind of companies? What are the biggest pain points for CROs and pharma when it comes to working with these companies. And if you were working at one of these companies and you were trying to sell your product to pharma CRO, how would you do it? What would they want to hear? What's the key sell? So those are the questions this person has. It's about vendors and uh, 
pharma's interest in them, CRO's interest in them, and well, the like. You want to take a stab at this one first? Well, to fulfill most of the questions there, it's just uh, to answer most of the questions there, you have to fulfill an, a need, right? Um, I mean, that's how you're going to sell yourself. That's, uh, I forget the initial question, but the answer is that as well. Um, it's just a matter of filling a need. Um, and maybe you fill it better than previous vendors. Maybe you're meeting a need that's unknown um, or hasn't been considered. Uh, this is how you would present your your company to these to these uh, right to the pharma industry. Exactly. So the qu- the first question is how do they how do these companies typically work with CROs? Well, they work like you know they're considered a vendor. Technically, if you're a research site and you work with a pharma company, you're a vendor as well. Uh, you're fulfilling so, a need. You're fulfilling a need as well as a site. The need the, is we need patients. Exactly. At the end of the day, the last thing these pharmaceutical sponsors need is another vendor. At the end of the day, so you, like Chris said, what is your value prop? Why should they bring you on? It's research has already been established that. These days, you need an EDC system, and with that EDC system, you would need some analytics behind it. Uh, you would need some site tracking metrics. When it comes to the newer things, like remote monitoring, or even if we get into virtual trials, all right, well, we're going to need a remote monitoring platform. I mean, how are the sites going to put the source data into a remote platform. How is the monitor so, going to look at it? Like these are so, the things you got to ask yourself. So let's take EDC for example, right? Okay. There's many there's many EDC vendors, right? And they all primarily do the same thing. A diamond does. Yeah, they allow the site to input the source documentation that that the site has collected the data on whether it be a paper form or an electronic form. They allow the site to then place this data within a system that the sponsor has access to, okay? So they can see the same data. So that's essentially what they all do. Now, how do you separate yourself from these vendors and you wanna do EDC? Maybe you incorporate IWRS into that. Maybe you incorporate um, uh, ERT into that. Maybe you incorporate some sort of scanning where you can scan the documents, like, like say Interlink Stan. You can scan the documentation there because we're doing a remote monitoring. You you can add these platforms, so you're not increasing the site's um, necessity for more passwords. It's the same password, same login information, and you can do all these different services right there. Um, that would be one way to separate yourself from these other EDC vendors. You just you just you just kind of um, snowball everything into one spot, right? Where uh, all these different things that I had previously mentioned, ERT, IWRS, they all require different logins. They all are through different vendors. So that would be one way to separate yourself from these other vendors. Right. I think um, it goes, it, it's a, probably the most underrated concept in clinical research is how many passwords a study coordinator has to keep track of for just one study. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have a vendor for just about everything. Now you want to bring in electronic informed consent. So now you've got another vendor for that. Now you've got EDC. Now you've got an IWRS. Now you've got an IRB portal. Now you've got a lab 
portal most likely. Now you've ERT. got ERT, right, for the ECG. Now you've got who knows what else. There's all kinds of vendors, mm-hmm. right? And that's before you in- incorporate remote monitoring. That's mm-hmm. before you even start to dream of virtual trial. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk about virtual trial where the patients are not coming into the office, now you've got a telehealth platform. Now you probably got a chat feature with a patient. All these are just adding to the passwords that a coordinator, that the login information that a coordinator needs to keep track of. And that leads into the second question this person has. Why would pharma companies be skeptical about hiring these kind of vendors? And it's exactly that. Site compliance, right? There's even vendors for patient recruitment where you need a password to log in and see where your leads this patient leads are coming from, which coordinators don't even do, not to mention they don't have the time, but they have another login credential to keep track of. Uh, not only that, but, uh, you know, other vendors are proven commodities, and that's why they're skeptical of taking somebody new on, right? Mm-hmm. You're not a proven commodity. So how can we trust that you have the capabilities you say you have, even if you, you know, demonstrate how do we know that you're going to be um, responsible with this information or, or whatever the concerns are? How do they know you're not a proven commodity? They have proven commodities. Mm-hmm. They already work with these. Very good point, actually. We're, we're a vendor. DSCS is a vendor for pharma. We're negotiating for a relatively big project for ourselves with a very big pharma. And their biggest, I mean, I'm just going to answer this question from personal experiences. Their biggest objection is, why should we hire you where we can go with the established player already, even if they're not as good as you, because we're pretty niche at what we do. So I think we're much better than what the mm-hmm. bigger player can offer. But why would we take a risk? And this is a middle manager asking this question. This is not like the CEO or the founder of the company. There's no such thing as that at these levels of companies. This is a middle manager trying to keep his job, trying to keep her job. Why would they go with the unproven and take a risk just for marginal benefits as opposed to just going with the traditional where they can't get in trouble? Even if there's no results, they're not going to get in trouble for selecting that vendor because yep, everybody's we've used them before them. or we've used them before. There's never been a complaint. So we're going to continue using them. Exactly. That's the kind of decision that will not get me fired as opposed mm-hmm. to a decision that I'm going to have to take a risk on. I could potentially get fired, but they're probably better and they're cheaper. So which yeah, one you, are you going to go with? And you may get a, as that middle manager, you may get a slight reward or at least an acknowledgement. Uh, hey, you know, Good decision there going with them. And (laughs) maybe that's all you get. So exactly. Yeah. So so that's the biggest challenge uh, facing these vendors. It's very tough to get in as a vendor. I think your best bet is the way Chris and I did it. And this is actually going to add another layer of complexity to the vendor question because the this leads in. I like all these answers that we're giving kind of leads into the next question. What's the biggest pain point for the CRO and the pharma? In my opinion, the biggest pain point is patient accrual. And Oh, without a doubt. And if you deconstruct what that actually means, that means... Vendors, even if you hire, even if you're a pharma company and you hire a vendor to accrue patients, let's say you hire a central recruitment firm, the site 
is the only one that can actually screen those patients. So if you've got a site that's overworked and overburdened and they're not even screening their own patients in their system, which happens all the time, by the way, sites have patients in their own database internally to their site that they're not screening because they don't have time. What makes you think that they're going to go to an external vendor platform? What makes you even think they're going to remember the password? Okay. And so even to be able to log in and meanwhile, the sponsor's paying money for all those leads that this patient recruitment vendor is generating. And those leads are going unused because the coordinators not even have time to go into their own system and look for patients. So the biggest pain point is sites being overburdened. If you really break it down, because yes, the biggest pain point is patient accrual. But if you break that down to the least common denominator, right? It's the least common denominator, right? Not the greatest. It is what you're implying. No least. So, but I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think certainly that applies to many sites, but it's one or the other, right? Because I'm sure there are sites that aren't overburdened. They just, they don't have access to the patients. Hmm. So it's one or the other, right? Um, you could address, uh, you could address either, I think, and you'll find, hmm. you'll find room in the industry, right? I think if you take a hundred sites, Let's say you take just one study at random that has 100 mm-hmm. sites participating. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to have like 10% of those sites or that's going to be their first trial. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think those sites are not overburdened. I think those sites are ready to go. They're motivated, right? That's only 10% of those sites. That's 10 sites. I think mm-hmm. the rest are experienced sites that are doing multiple studies, especially in a year like 2021 where they're doing multiple studies uh, and they just don't have time. So I think the overburdened aspect is a majority of the sites. I don't think it's, see, I would disagree. I don't think it's that high. I would, I would speculate it's probably 70, 30, 60, 40, something like that. I think that a lot of these sites are, if they're taking on numerous studies and they're also seeing patients, those are the more likely sites that you're going to have that are overburdened, right? And which okay. they're both a private practice that has taken on numerous studies. Hmm. They're spreading their time very thin. It also if, depends. If well, this topic we can unra- unpack it and have, you know, a lengthy discussion on, maybe we'll do that right now. It also depends who you ask at the site. Well, absolutely. If they're all going to the say if they want the study. Well, no, no. Let's say you and I, we're not awarding any study. We go to these 100 sites participating in this study. Sure, I agree with what you're about to say as well. And we go ask the PI, hey, are you overburdened? PI is most likely going to say no. You go Mm -hmm. ask that PI's coordinator, are you overburdened? They're going to laugh and roll their eyes and say, what do you think? Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, we know this. We go to a site and monitor right now, two sites, where you would ask the PI, are you overburdened? They would say no. You go ask the coordinator and they barely have time to answer your question. Right. So absolutely. I think that's a big pain point that the industry doesn't talk about enough. So both of those sites, and again, I I would say sponsors primarily select sites that have a private practice, but both of those sites have a private practice or have a a clinic, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you were going to focus primarily or solely on just research sites, 
I think that's a completely different story in terms of overburden. Just because, again, the site spread thin when they're seeing patients in clinic and patients for research. Right. More likely are, are overburdened. Yeah, when you separate the research from the private practice, but even these sites, right? The one where we have the coordinator, he's actually texting me now. And then the other one that we go to in LA, those coordinators don't do anything with the private practice from what I understand. They, they're they overburdened with uh, just the research that they're mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like a undisca- non-disca- under-discussed, what's the word? It's too early. Under-discussed uh, phenomenon in the industry that you don't really understand unless you get your hands dirty and start talking on the ground level with the uh, soldiers doing battle. And the PIs are okay. usually like the generals. Sure. But you're, PIs, you, the know, general, if you're a, you have if some you're a generals CR- that uh, lead from the front and you have some generals lead from the back. But if you're a CRA questioning the coordinator about this and you're looking to place a study, they're not going to tell you the truth. I mean, no, forget it. they won't. That's another thing, right? Uh, but yep. we're not talking about site selection right now. We're talking about just what the pharma industry's biggest pain point is. And it's- sure, but I'm talking about how do you address that? There is, mm. there's no way. There, I don't think there's a way to address it. There is. The first thing you brought up when we first started this podcast, if you can combine some of these vendors into one. Okay. So if you can take the EDC and it could become the platform where patient leads come in. And it could become the platform for where e-source is used and IWRS. I've already worked as a CRA. I've worked on one uh, platform where the EDC system is the IWRS system. Yeah, I've seen that a couple of times. It's helped the coordinators out tremendously. So if you consolidate some of these functions into one platform, I think metadata is the best one capable of doing this right now. You're making, you're cutting, you're making a coordinator's life that much easier. Yeah, but at best, you're saving 5% of time. At best, 5%. But that adds up, right, over multiple studies? The sure. coordinator's typically managing, what, like four to eight studies? Oh, well, I don't know if that many, but... Sometimes more. Keep, depends. Sure, depends on the situation, how hard, difficult the studies are. Let's say on average four. Four studies per coordinator, right, that they're managing. Yeah, I mean, you're saving 5% recent. of time on each of those protocols. That's 20% of their overall time. Sure. So if you're a vendor, bottom line is if you're a vendor and you're trying to get in, which it sounds like what this person's doing, and this is leads to their final question. If you were working at one of these companies and you were trying to sell your product to pharma or CROs, how would you do it? What would they want to hear? What's the key sell? There's probably different ways to uh, peel this onion. Uh but one of the things I would do is talk about how you're making life simpler for the coordinator. And these are things they don't even consider. Most of these. I was just going to say, you'd have to point out why it's substantial that you're making it easier for the coordinator as well. Cause as you were just saying, I don't think pharma companies consider that much, but you know, who's doing a really good job at this. Viva, mm-hmm. Viva, the biggest, one of the biggest, uh, Viva is like one of the biggest tech vendors in this space. Like their market cap is bigger than some of these drug companies. They mm-hmm. created Viva Vault for sites, free, free version of Viva Vault, 
where you can just scan. You can do e-regulatory for free at your site. Now they have a Trojan horse into the sites because so many sites use it because it's free and it truly makes their life easier. Now they can go to sponsors and they have leverage and they can say, look, we have 10,000 sites using Viva Vault. If you sign up with us for your next study, we already, the sites already know how to use it. You don't need to train them on it. They're already mm-hmm. using it. If you have the, the capital to invest in this, in the freemium version, you hit the sites, you, you give it to the sites and you can get paid from the sponsors Trojan horse your way into it. Mm -hmm. What do you think? You agree? Oh, for Viva Vault. Sure. I don't know about get a big market cap for a startup. You better be well-funded. And a lot of these startups like Metabol actually have their pen right here. Metabol. I met them at DIA or at bio last year when you can still go to conferences. We'll get there. Free plug. Free, free plug. plug. I'm supposed to interview their founder. Free plug. They just raised more money, by the way. Free plug. I don't think they are making money. Free plug. Uh, but they are raising money, right? Because, the, I mean, this is what venture capitalists do. This is what they want to invest in. So a company like Metabol or like some of the other ones they mentioned, Science 37, they're well-funded, right? And they're not necessarily looking at making a profit. They want to make, it's like Instagram, like Instagram, when it came out, like their job was not to make money from day one. Their job was to get as many people like me and you to start using Instagram because then that makes it a valuable target for someone like Facebook to, to acquire. So -hmm. you just Trojan horse your way into it. And by the way, in social media, we are the products like we are, the users are the product in a similar way. The sites in research would be the product because if they're adopting your service for free, now you can go to the sponsor and say, Hey, we already have all these sites using it. So it would make sense for you to make us your vendor for the, for your next 12 protocols. Mm-hmm. Only Certainly. if you can do it. It's if you're a startup and you're not capitalized well, and you're trying to make money from the sites, forget about it. I don't think sites are paying for things these days. At the most, they're paying for e-source. And even that, they're get, usually getting it re- reimbursed from the drug companies. Well, they'll pay for patient recruitment too, but you're going to be priced differently for a site than a sponsor. What I mean by that is a sponsor is going to pay you typically for screen fails as well. And a site is not going to do that. You're going to get paid on randomizations only. Right. And, and even, and we've, we've discussed it with patient recruitment vendors, what they charge a site for a patient lead versus what they charge a sponsor for a patient lead. The same patient <clears throat> is like 30 X differential. Can be. Yep. And so I really think that's the way to go. If you're trying to, like I said, if you're a startup trying to sell something to a site, good luck. I think eSource can do it. Even that was tough. Like Ray from Creo, but I think he finally succeeded. And he helped the sites get get that money reimbursed by the sponsors, which is helpful. Like he created the policies, the justification letters, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So you can just send it to the sponsor and get that reimbursed. But sites to come out of pocket, good luck. 
with that. Good luck with that strategy. I don't think that's a strategy that will work. Well, I think it worked for Steady Kick. I don't think they started with sites. They started with sites, I believe. They didn't start with a sponsor. Again, though, you can only do it typically in terms of randomizations. Right. For the pa- Steady Kick, for those that don't know, is a patient recruit- recruitment vendor. Um, but even they would have justifications for the sites to get reimbursed. And, and they have a different model as well. They have levels. Right. If you're on their cheap level, which I forget their naming structure. Right. If you're on the cheap level, it's like $100 a month. Yeah, it's like and bronze, silver, gold, and platinum or something like that. Right. And then platinum is like 2000 a month or something. We actually heard from a site that we know that their platinum is the way to go. Yeah, I've heard that from a few sites. So but that might expensive. be something. It's expensive, but if you can get that reimbursed, at least half of the year reimbursed, right? So six grand instead of, or wait, two thousand a month would be twenty four thousand a year. So if you can get like twelve thousand reimbursed, you know, half of the year reimbursed. I mean, even if the patients are coming in, you're making money over the two thousand a month. Right. Uh, sponsors typically going to work on maybe a. Uh, they might go $6,000. So you'll get up for three months, but I think that's enough time to realize that it works. And then you can demonstrate this to the sponsor and they'll give you more funding. Yeah. And then you're in, I mean, as long as you're profitable, you keep using it. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're thinking about starting a new site in uh, Yuma, right? And uh, this might be one of the things we look into as well as we get the ball rolling. Sure. But I mean, as far as like, data analytics or just sites to make their workflow easier. I don't think sites are going to be paying necessarily for this. Closest thing you have is like the e-source and the CTMS system. CTMS is <clears throat> clinical trial management system is how sites track their budgets and what patients came in and all those things. They will pay for those kind of things. But if you're mm-hmm. talking about like what a medible does, which makes e-consent easier or virtual trials easier sites are not paying for that they're expecting the sponsors to pay for these things mm-hmm. yep. so 100% agree for sites it's mostly offense related um, anything else we missed I think you covered it enough mm, I think so I'm sure we missed something but I can't think of anything well thank you guys for listening and watching and thank you Chris for uh, taking the time out of your day to do this podcast and we will be on the webinar in two hours. Yep. Sounds good. Take care everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, Hey everybody, thank you very much for listening to another episode of random musings from the clinical trials guru. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you leave a review. If you could be so kind, please. Uh, and also go to the clinicaltrialsguru.com if you're interested in learning more about who I am, who some of my guests are. Uh, you can have access to some of my YouTube videos. Uh, I do a lot of videos about clinical research. So go to the clinicaltrialsguru.com and you can also call or text me anytime, 949-415-6256. Also follow me on any social media platform. It's Dan Svera. And you can also... Email me if you'd like, dan at theclinicaltrialsguru.com. Thank you very much.